All right, so good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Nate, and, I'm, and I usually lead worship. And uh, it's my joy and privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. Um, before you do that, I want to, I wanna, before you do that, I want to talk about somebody that uh, I've been uh, kind of researching a little bit this week as I prepared for this, this message. Um, and this me- the title of this message is up on the screen, Worthy of My gratitude. So I grew up in, in an era, era that was kind of a combination of both worlds um, when it comes to the blending of radio into television. Well, I was, television was already live before I was born, or around before I was born. But the importance of radio into television, into computers and social media. So I've kind of seen that whole trajectory and as a sports fan, I've been able to enjoy different aspects of that. And um, I'm a huge baseball fan. I love the Giants. And so I got to listen to, to guys like Lon Simmons, Ted Robinson, and Mike Kruko, Dwayne Kuyper, uh, Dave Fleming, John Miller, just a lot of great guys that tell a lot of good stories. But there's, this, there's a gold standard of sports broadcasting, and there's, there's really not much of a question when you ask any, any current broadcaster, retired broadcaster, the name that always comes up is, is Vince Scully. Um, this is Vince Scully back in, the, back in the 50s. Vince Scully, he started broadcasting for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1950. 1950. He followed the Dodgers to Los Angeles and was there until 2017 when he finally retired. 67 years. So 1950, that's, that's three years after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. So he, he got to announce the great Jackie Robinson into Sandy Koufax. I mean, he's seen it all. But not just baseball. Um, he, he did all kinds of sports. He was all over. If there was an important sporting event, usually in the 70s, 80s, 90s, there's a good chance that he, he would have been a part of it. So I'm just going to talk about a couple of the things that, that he, he accomplished in his career. In 1953, he became the youngest announcer to announce the World Series at age 25. 25. Um, 1958, like I said, he moved with Los Angeles and continued with the Dodgers. Just, just some of the, the, the important sports moments, if, if you consider sports important, that he, that he announced was uh, Don Larson's World Series Perfect Game. Um, He broadcast all four of Sandy Koufax's no-hitters. Hank Aaron's 715th home run. The 1981 NFC Championship between the Niners and the Cowboys, the catch. Joe Montana to Dwight Dwight Clark. The 1986 World Series, Game 6. Matt remembers that one. When the ball went between Bill Buckner's legs, he was there. And uh, another, another huge one was the Kurt Gibson home run against the A's in the 88 World Series. He just, he's seen it all, done it all. He, he announced the Rose Bowl parade. I mean, just golf, football, baseball, tennis, I think. I mean, he just did a, a ton of stuff. Back in, uh, I'm going to guess this is about 2014, 2015, I was, I was watching an interview of him. And this, uh, the guy that was interviewing him, he, he went down this list of accomplishments of Vince Scully. And he's like, man, you, you're, you're something else. 
Give me a 35-minute clock. All right. <laughs> Sorry, distracted. Um, he went down this list of, of things as if Vince Scully didn't know all the things that he's been a part of. And at the end, he said, you know, you're, you're, you're the best there is. He's like, and, and we, should, we should all bow down to you as knowing that you're the best. And he said, well, who do you bow down to? The announcer asked. And he's like, well, I don't think anybody should bow down to me. And I bow, I bow down to no man. This is paraphrase. I couldn't find the, the transcript. I bow down to no, no man, but only to Jesus Christ, who's worthy of my worship. I was so encouraged to hear that because I'm like, I mean, he is a dodger, so there's, he, the decks are stacked against him, but he, it warmed my soul to hear a man acknowledge Christ in front of an audience of potentially millions. But not just to acknowledge him, but, but to make the statement that he alone is worthy. Because there is no other, there is no other God, there is no person worthy of that. Jesus alone. Jesus alone is worthy. Amen? So, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to be reading um, out of Psalms 100. And uh, we're going to just look at some things that the Word of God shares with us. And then I want to just make the... Let me say it this way. Let's explore together the idea of a God who is deserving and worthy of our gratitude. Um. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we just we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can get together and worship the one true God, a holy, perfect God who is so set apart that we just have no, no way to connect with except that you made a way. We thank you that you love us enough want to have communion with us, to have a relationship with us. But we thank you for everything that we're going to explore about you, that your word is going to teach us this morning. Maybe it's something new or maybe it's something we need to be reminded of or reaffirmed. But we stand on the promise of your word because it is, it is perfect. And it came straight from you. We thank you for this time. We thank you that we got to spend some time dedicating children and, and hearing from missionaries and, and seeing together. We thank you for the time coming up where we're going to have time to pray together. We thank, you, we thank you for all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we, uh, I'm not going to make you stand the whole time, but can we stand for the word of God? It's only five verses. So it's, you don't have to stand for a long time. Psalm 100, should be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that Yahweh is God. He made us, and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise him. For Yahweh is good, and his love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. Amen? Amen. I'll, you may be seated. 
I love that this, this psalm, it's, it's a simple, straightforward, to the point command to, to the people of God. There's, a, there's, there's seven, seven commands um, given in this, in this passage. And so we're just going to kind of break them down real quick, just, just to reaffirm that they're in our head. Um, he tells us to shout triumphantly to the Lord. How are we doing with that? Serve the Lord with gladness. We've got to make sure we add the whole sentence, right? Serve, well, I didn't put it up there, sorry. It's on my notes, though. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that Yahweh is God. Number five, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Number six, give thanks to him. Number six, praise his name. Several of those are kind of in the same category, right? I think that sometimes what God has done in the word of God is, is repeat things or say things in, in different ways so that it doesn't slip away and we don't um, gloss over it. And I think this is one of those times. We've been called to have this attitude of of admiration and worship and gratitude towards a God who's worthy of it. But I love that he gives, he gives um, some, uh, some reasons why, why these things are important or why these things are appropriate. First he says that he made us, that we are his, the sheep of his pasture. Have you ever been part of like a, a a group that you really love or, or a team or, or um, your marriage or your family, your family unit. There, there's, there's many different ways that God has, has given to give us a sense of belonging. And just that, that, that safety in knowing that you're with people that you trust. Um, I, th- I think about, you know, my marriage and just knowing that, you know, I can lay in bed next to my wife and we can talk through everything that, that, that life is, is bringing us. And that knowing that there's a safe place there to say what's on my mind, to, to work through issues in a, in a safe way. These are very important things that God has given us. But ultimately, these are intended to point to him. These are intended to point to the, the relationship that he wants to have with us, a father that deeply cares about every single thing that we go through and wants us to walk in his way. Because, like it says in, in uh, verse 5, because he is good, Yahweh is good. Now, good has a different meaning. Maybe for somebody my age is like, Hey, how was, how was the day? It was good. That's not the type of good we're talking about. This is, this is who he is. He is a good God. That means there's no, there's no hint or shadow of vindictiveness or malice or evil of any kind. He is purely good. There's, there's just... It's almost hard to understand because deep down, we tend to lean towards our sinful nature and we have motives 
no matter how much we're trying to live in, in, the, in the will of the Spirit and to walk in God's way, that sinful nature is there, and, and we, we can try to manipulate people, lie to people to get what we want to. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. Just, we know. We know where we are. But God is so different. He is so different. He is, he is good. And the plan that he's laid out for mankind reveals that. We're going to ex- keep exploring that. Not only is he good, but his love is eternal. It's not a temporary thing. Like, I mean, I picked on Matt already. I'll pick on him again. We, we have a temporary uh, friendship. It didn't used to be good. Now it's very good. But we used to fight years ago because we didn't know each other. We both thought each other we were jerks. And then we turned out, oh, maybe you're not a jerk. But that's, it's like, almost like, okay, now I have to prove that I'm going to be a good guy. Okay, now we can be friends. Because we've proven to each other that we're not going to punch each other. And so now we can be friends. That's not God. He loves us the same today as he will in heaven. He loves us the same today as he did before the foundations of the world. His faithfulness endures through all generations. I'm going to read out of 2 Peter 3. We were just there, and we just, we just explored this. But it just really highlights his faithfulness. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to Repentance. That's because he's good. It's because he wants the best for us, whether we've chosen to accept the gift of Christ yet or not. He looks at the unbeliever with compassion, and he wants them to escape the judgment that they're under. He has always been good. And the Word of God says that he chose us before the foundations of the earth. Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So he chose us to be holy, and he's holy, and we're not. So that means he wants us to be like him. And I don't mean like God's. Let me be very clear. But he wants us to be holy and blameless. He wants us to be a pure bride. And that's the way, excuse me, that's the way it was when he first created mankind. If you remember, familiar story obviously, in in Genesis, God created the earth. The heavens and the earth, land, the sea, all the birds, fish, animals, plants, everything. And then he created man. And then after he found that man needed a, a companion, he created woman. And there was a time, right, where they lived in perfect communion with God. The Word of God says that they would walk with him in the garden, and they would have this time with him. They, they had access to everything that God had created. 
but he did ask them not to eat from that one tree, right? And they, uh, they chose to, to disobey. And it's, it's that, that moment where the serpent speaks to Eve and, and questions what God really said. And so she allowed herself to, to, her mind to wander and not to believe what God said. And so her and her husband ate that fruit. But who did God hold responsible for that fruit, for that sin? It was Adam. It was Adam. And so there were consequences that came from that sin, right? Um, they would no longer live forever. They were gonna, they were gonna die eventually. Um, that woman would um, have pain in childbirth, that the man would have to work the field. But ultimately there was this, that separation for God. And because of that, because of that, sin into the world. Romans 5.12 explains how that, how that goes. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all men because all have sinned. So all of us who have been born have been born under that curse. We are, we are born under the curse of sin because of that one sin. But God is good, right? We're going back to that. He is good. And so that, that failing on Adam and Eve's part, that sin and that curse, God had a plan. We know it well. But I'm just going to say it anyways because it's, this is just, this is the good news. His plan was to send his only son to live, to live a human life and to face everything that we did. He dealt with the hurt, the misunderstanding, insults, abandonment, sadness, temptation. There's nothing that we've experienced that he didn't have to go through. But there was an important part of God's plan because, like we said, sin entered the, the world through this one man, Adam. And so he couldn't just be born a normal, a normal birth. It couldn't just be Joseph and Mary. The, the virgin birth is not just a miracle. It's, it's vital to, to our salvation because... Jesus being conceived of the Holy Spirit took him outside of that curse. He was not born under the curse of Adam. But he still had to live this life and he still had to be tempted to sin. But he did not. He was free of sin. He lived a perfect life. Tempted in every way. And then... Let me stop there because Hebrews 4.12 just backs that up. For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. He had to suffer and die on the cross, taking on the sin of all humanity in order 
that those who place his faith in him can not only have their guilt removed, but have the, the righteousness of Christ given to them. We're not just escaping judgment. We're given the righteousness of Christ. I talked about earlier how this psalm kind of repeated things a couple times. We're going to go to Romans 5. And uh, Paul lays this out in a couple of ways. So we talked about sin entering through Adam. So for just as through one man's disobedience, the many, that's us, were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Men. The law came along to multiply the trespasses. What does that mean? That means when God gave Moses the law, what, what we had to follow, that wasn't a blueprint for us to, to get to heaven. That was to show us you got no chance. You're going to fail. You're going to sin over and over again because you're not perfect. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That, that's the reality of us as believers. That's, that's our future. It's not a pipe dream. Not a pipe dream. Isn't it amazing to sit back and just think about the lengths to which God would go to show his love for his people? He just, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need to have anybody. He is already perfect. He is already all-powerful. He already knows everything. There's nothing outside of his, his control. I mean, he spoke, and the world came into existence. But yet he created a people to glorify him, to glorify himself. He created this creation, and he, he asks us to live in his will, and he's given us a promise of what, what would happen if we choose to follow after him. And he's also given us a warning of what happens to those who reject that. Right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So, the same God that, that had a plan before the foundation of the earth he still has that same plan today. And he's going to work that plan out to his glory. We can't see it all or know it all. And we, we, we can easily question it and wonder what he is doing and why he's done things. But his plan is perfect. And he's asked us to trust in that plan. He's asked us to trust in him, not on ourselves.
Because he's good and his love is eternal, and his faithfulness endures through all generation, and because we are his, he chose you and I. He chose us to be the sheep of his pasture. To be chosen by a a holy God is something that should move us to, to such gratitude that it overshadows anything else. It overshadows the, the, the current blessings that he's given us. I mean, we, we've spent several days probably reciting the things that we're grateful for at dinner. And those are good things. We're grateful for our families. We're grateful for our church family. Grateful for jobs, health. I mean, all the, all the ways that God pours out his blessing on his people. But all those things shadow, pale in, conspar- in comparison to the one great gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of being adopted into the family of God. So I want to encourage us to remember what is the most important. What is the real gift of God? Because it's so easy to get focused on what we can see, right? And to forget the unseen, the eternal, what will last, what will never fade away. The reality of that all those who have put their faith in Jesus will spend eternity in the presence of God. Amen. He is worthy. Amen. So what's our response to our great God? To a God who created not only the world, but the universe, everything that we see, this great creation. We can go to Yellowstone. We can go to the Pacific Ocean. Um, If you're crazy enough, you can hike to the top of Mount Everest. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's just simply mind-boggling, all the, just the creation of the earth, let alone that he's made each one of us in his own image, and he's given us unique attributes, gifts, passions, skills. He's given us ways to serve one another and to glorify him. But above all, he is a God who who wants his people to be close to him, to walk in, in constant communion with him. So my challenge is, are we are we worshiping the created over the creator? Well, I'll, let me ask it a different way. I don't know if I have this written down. I think I do in the notes. Make it maybe a little more personal. Is my gratitude for my earthly blessings overshadowing my gratitude for eternal 
reward, for my eternal reward. See, all these things are appropriate to be thankful for. All the blessings that God gives us. But let's not forget that our future, if you've put your faith in Jesus, is, is with a God who has done all these things. And to be in his presence and to finally see with our eyes the glorious God that we serve. And for those who haven't come to that decision, I want to challenge you that God is serious about this. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. That's a reality. But the gift of God is eternal life Jesus Christ. I was thinking about like a way to like think about like these comparisons of, of our earthly blessings compared to um, our eternal blessings. And I thought of like, okay, so let's say you're um, stranded at sea. Say you're, you're somebody who goes on a sailboat out in the middle of the ocean and uh, all your stuff breaks. I don't know what any of the parts are called. The jib, is that a, is that a part? <laughs> And the sail, I know the sail's a part of it. And so let's say it's not working, and so you're stranded out in the middle of the ocean. You've been there for several days. You've run out of food. You've run out of water. And you've got no hope. And you know it's just a matter of time before, you know, you're gone. But then this ship comes by, and, and they rescue you. You get back home, and you're, you're telling your family about the story. And they're like, what happened? And you're like, well, I was out in the middle of the ocean, and then these guys gave me a bunch of food, and they gave me a blanket. And they, um, you know, then they took me back home. And you leave the whole part about out that they saved your life. Wouldn't that just be, that wouldn't make any sense, right? God has saved our lives. We were headed to destruction. We were enemies of God that had hope, no hope of redemption outside of the work of Jesus. And we were saved. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, we were saved. And not only that, but he's given us a future with him. It would have been enough to just save us, right? Hey, get me out of this predicament I'm in, this curse of sin, thank you. No, that's not God. God wanted to do more. Amen? Amen. But as we're talking about these early blessings, I just want to remind us that God's choice to give or take away temporal things here on this earth, they're not a gauge of whether or not he loves you. There are some people that have had to walk down really hard paths and some people that maybe haven't walked down as hard of paths. And God's called both of those people and he's chosen to work in different people in different ways. And it's all about trusting in that plan. So last, I just want to ask you, does, does my life 
reflect the gratitude that he is worthy of? Only you can answer that, right? Man, it's been a good time diving into the word with you. Andy, would you, would you come? We're going to move into a time of worship, and Andy's going to pray first. And let's bring our lives before the throne.